Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who ears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Yet wisdom is justified by, their, by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. This is God's word. Well, this passage is uh, a lot of verses. I cut it short when I originally thought I was going to to preach through just because there's so much in it. Um, So we'll see what we can get from it, and I'll pick up some of the back half of it next week. But uh, if you're new, uh, we go basically verse by verse through Scripture, and we're in Matthew, and we're going verse by verse through this. And he, uh, in chapter 10... We talked about last week, Jesus just finished giving a bunch of instructions for what to do in terms of going out on the mission field, uh, that being his 12 disciples and probably 72 others, which we see in Luke. And so uh, after finishing those instructions about laboring the mission field, um, he had given them some warnings about what's going to happen. And again, we talked about this last week. He says, as they go out, as you go and preach and teach and help and serve, just like I did, 
Some people are going to receive you and they're going to become Christians. And then there's going to be some people who do not receive you and they are going to reject you and not want to talk to you. And there's going to be people who want to hurt you and they want to persecute and they want to kill you even. And then there's going to be people, like we saw last week, who are just going to be haters. They're just going to hate you. Even some of your own family members are going to separate from you because of your love for Jesus, because of your desire to proclaim Jesus. So he basically says you should expect to succeed and you should expect to fail. Now, we all should expect something when when following Jesus. Something's going to happen if you're following Jesus, if you're laboring in the fields. And those who believe what Jesus says, that, okay, you should expect to succeed, you should expect to fail, we think, okay, I'll expect those things. In our minds, we kind of play a game. And what I mean is, we often expect success and failure to look a particular way. We want to define what success means in Christ and success what or what failure means in Christ. Many of us believe that, I'm not saying we'll actually say this out loud, but many of us believe in the quietness of our hearts that if we live correctly, morally, if we serve faithfully and do what Jesus says, even if we're rejected and and hated and all those things that Jesus talked about, our faithfulness is going to result in some good things. We're going to have good marriages. We're going to have marriages without conflict. We're going to have healthy lives. I mean, I might be hated by the world, but serving faithfully means I'm going to have a good life, a healthy life. I'm going to have you know, children that obey with joy. I'm going to have friends that always think I'm awesome. I'm going to have strength to resist every temptation that comes, right? That's how we kind of picture it. This is how it's going to go. As long as I'm faithful. We expect a certain kind of life with God. A certain kind of life in Christ. What we'll call a how things ought be. There's a certain way things ought to be in Christ. If I'm a Christian, if I'm a faithful Christian, there's a certain way things ought to be. But what happens when our experience of life contradicts what our expectations were, then we think something's wrong. Something's broken. This is not how things ought to be. This is not what I expected. I've been faithful. I've served. I've done what you asked, Jesus. And when the future though, that we hope for doesn't really make it into the present reality, we wonder if Jesus is who we thought He was. Now, when you begin with doubt like that, if you don't deal with it immediately, if you don't kind of engage with it, that can lead to disillusionment. And disillusionment, if it's not <clears throat> excuse me, dealt with, that can lead to despair. And if you're not careful, what happens is you stop trusting all people. You stop trusting all pastors. You stop trusting churches. You stop trusting God. You start questioning everyone and everything. In reality, what happens, what we're really doing, is we're questioning everyone but ourselves. And we're questioning everything and challenging everything but the exceptions, or I should say the expectations of what we thought ought to be. Those are right. Something else must be wrong. So this text is going to teach us five things. 
So if you get nothing else, you can get these five points and you can tune out. Ready? First thing, Jesus is not going to meet your expectations. Okay? Just accept that now. But as we go through, you'll see. He's not going to meet them. Secondly, when your experience in life contradicts what your expectations are, that will happen. You will question Jesus. That's the second thing. You're going to question Him. So the third thing is, that's normal. Okay? Don't freak out. That's normal. It's okay to have a little bit of doubt. It's okay to ask some questions. It's even better to search for answers because they're there. Fourth thing is know that when your experience doesn't meet your expectations, the problem is not with Jesus. Okay? That's not where the problem is. Jesus, you fell short of my expectations. Okay, well, the expectations are the problem. And the solution that we'll see is that your expectations have to be exchanged with God's revelation. You've got to do an exchange. Because you've already done an exchange. You need to swap it back to what it's supposed to be. So let's get into it, right? Verse 2 there says talks about this guy named John the Baptist. I'm not going to assume everyone knows who John the Baptist is, but it says that when he heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, his deeds are everything that we've seen Jesus do up through these ten chapters, teach and, and preach and, and heal. He sent word by his disciples, so John the Baptist has his own group of disciples that are following him and have been following him for some time. And he said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? So John the Baptist, just to inform you, he is the um, cousin of Jesus. He was born, give or take, six months prior to Jesus. Okay. Now, before Jesus began his ministry, 30-year-old-ish John, wild man John, came preaching in the wilderness. Okay. Now, John wore a big kind of coat of camel hair, which wasn't really stylish for the day. It was like, you know, Bear Grylls, wild man, crazy guy. He was out there eating locusts. He had uh, wild honey for treats. I mean, he was just kind of living off the land. He would fit well in Snohomish County wilderness areas, right? He would love it here. So he's out preaching. And his sermon was really simple. He'd walk out, wild man, hadn't showered, dirty, locusts, you know, in his teeth, and he'd say, repent. Repent the kingdom's at hand. Repent and be baptized for your sins. That's all he'd say. He was actually quite harsh. He was bold. He was loud. He was a little crude. He publicly condemned religious leaders who came out. He's like, you brood of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes. He didn't like whisper that. Yelled it out. He challenged their confidence. You guys think you're saved because you're sons of Abraham. I don't think so, you snakes. He warned that God, he's like, you know what? God's ready to cut you down and throw you in the fire because you're fruitless trees. Okay, so he didn't pull any punches. He was just like, out there, you sinners, repent. He didn't mince words. He was very similar to an Old Testament prophet. Shockingly, his ministry was very effective. Okay? People really liked that, responded well to it. Tons of people came and started being baptized. Disciples started following him. This guy knows what he's talking about. We're a bunch of sinners. Let's, let's listen up. But John never claimed to be the Messiah, though a lot of people wondered that. Is this the guy? 
this is the Savior, maybe, that, that, that God has been talking about? John never claimed that. He always pointed to one that was mightier than himself. He always pointed to a guy who said, there's someone coming whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. This guy that's coming, that man's going to baptize with fire. I just do water. He's going to burn stuff. He's going to come and he's going to judge all this evil. He is going to, whether it's religious evil or non-religious evil, he is coming. He's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom rule and he's going to take all sins away and deal with you guys. That's what John thought. Enter Jesus. Jesus shows up, whom John called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's like standing, Jesus walking by, he's like, there he goes. There's a Lamb of God who's going to absorb all of God's judgment like the Lamb. So he thought Jesus was the Messiah. He believed that he was the coming king. He believed and said that I got to go back in the shadows and decrease, and we got to make much of Jesus. He's got to increase. I'm nothing. You guys should follow him. Because that's what happened. As soon as Jesus showed up, some of his disciples started going. They were actually complaining, like, hey, Jesus, you know, Jesus is out there baptizing a bunch of people now, like he used to do, John. Like, we want to, like, maybe, look, he's on the other side of the river over there. We kind of got competing ministries, like, no, follow him. Follow him. He believed that the king had come to judge and he was ready to be part of Jesus' army and let's go. And his conviction that, that Jesus was of royal lineage, if you will, gave John the confidence to keep going. He condemned false teachers. He condemned false leaders. He condemned false truth. He just kept going. He boldly and publicly condemned, as I said, Jewish religious leaders, and then he started to attack some political ones. And he publicly attacked Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, the guy who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. And Herod Antipas decided that his niece was really cute, and so he decided to take her as his wife. And this offended on all kinds of levels, not just John, but the entire Jewish culture, who was already offended at Herod and his entire family, for several reasons. One, Herod was already married, so there's a problem. Secondly, she was also married. There's a third problem. And third, she was married to his half-brother. So, there was all kinds of issues because the marriage was unlawful, it was immoral, it was illegitimate, and John is the only guy that said, wrong. You are screwing up. God is not pleased. That is evil, immoral, illegitimate, bad. Now, Herod had the backing of Rome. Herod's the one who founded the city of Tiberias, named after the emperor who actually gave him his title. So, Herod loved Rome. Rome loved Herod. And so, you dare not speak out against. Well, John did. And railing against this Terrible marriage landed him in prison. Actually, there was a fortress. It's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's on the coast of the uh, eastern coast of the Dead Sea. And at this point, he'd probably been in prison for about a year when he's hearing about Jesus. His disciples are obviously still communicating with him, but he's in prison, and he would be in prison another year, about two years total, before he'd be beheaded. He'd never get out again. 
Now, it says that John heard of his deeds, right? And the problem was, that concerned him. Jesus isn't who he thought he'd be. Jesus isn't doing what John expected. John expected a conquering king. John expected, like many of the Jews did, a guy to challenge the ruling power. You know the one he's imprisoned by right now? John expected that Jesus would go, like a king would do, and attack major cities and take over. But if we have seen over the last few chapters, what's Jesus doing? He's wandering the back hills of Galilee. He's not going to major cities. And He's exercising spiritual power, not some kind of political rule. And He's healing just a few people here and there. Like with this idea that He's like, like healing everybody. That's not happening. He's just healing a few people here and there. And we have some stories of some, and I'm sure there were others, but he's not, it's not this massive transformational, the entire nation is following Jesus. John's like, what the snarf is going on? What is like you're going out to Darrington and, and healing a few people? Why don't you go to downtown Seattle where, where life happens and start taking care of business? So John is a little confused, a little upset, because Jesus isn't meeting his expectations. So he sends a few disciples to ask, okay, are you are you the one? Now you got to think about, like John, what did John like think about Jesus before he asked that question? This is John who's like, dude, there's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. There's a guy that's coming that's going to baptize with fire. When Jesus walks up to be baptized, John's like, I shouldn't even be doing this. You should be like baptizing me. I can't do this. Like what changes a guy's convictions that much? To go, I know who Jesus is. I don't know. Are you, are you the Messiah? Doesn't that happen to us sometimes? There are moments where like you're so convinced, oh, I know He's Lord. And then life sends you some kind of something you didn't expect. And you're like, oh, well, where's Jesus? Who are you? What? You freak out. And I would say, I love to see that John the greatest man ever born, had a doubt. That brings me some comfort. Like, there was a moment where he wasn't sure. And by God's grace, guess what? He asked Jesus a question. Not his buddy. But John is uncertain. Because Jesus has fallen short of who he thought he was. What he thought he was going to do and when he thought he'd do it. In prison, unable to preach and minister for a year was the last place this faithful servant of God who condemned political leaders who were doing bad things, condemned religious leaders. He's like, okay, is this really where I'm going to end up? I did everything right and I'm in prison? We have similar thoughts, figuratively speaking. The bottom line is Jesus fell short of His expectations. And when we find ourselves in circumstances that that we don't expect or want, our first thought is always, this can't be right. Why do we go there? Why do we assume that this can't be right? This can't be what God has for me. Really? I'm sure John may have had that thought. This is not how things were supposed to be. 
we begin to wonder if Jesus has failed us. So let me just proclaim a very clear truth. Just because men fail, just because marriages fail, just because pastors fail, just because systems fail, just because governments fail, doesn't mean God ever fails. But those are the times when we begin to question it most. There's nothing wrong with disappointment. Absolutely not. But we must not allow that to lead to a sense of disillusionment. Because what happens if we're not careful when things don't come to pass as we expected, as we thought they should be, instead of asking whether our expectations are off and and changing those, what happens is I think we often get enslaved to our vision of what we thought it should be. We can't stop thinking about it. And like John, you know what might happen? In order for you to bring that vision that may not be God's at all, but that vision you thought the way things should be, you'll begin to look for an alternative Savior for you to find it. You begin to look for that Savior that will basically rescue you from the hell that you never expected to be in. So we'll return to John's or Jesus' answer to his question in a second. But suffice to say, when Jesus comes to John, when he gives an answer to John, we know and see that he doesn't apologize to John for falling short of his expectations. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Not at all. Rather, he basically says this, Blessed is the one who does not stumble over me when I don't meet their expectations. That's the SFV, Sam Ford version. But then he begins to speak about John, right, in this passage? After they leave, he gives the answer. We'll return to the answer he gives in a second. But he begins to, to talk about John. Because they all know John's in prison. And he said to these people, this crowd that's around him, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. His question to the crowd is very basic. Who did you think John really is? Who do you think John really is? In other words, check your expectations. Now, what did they expect to see in the wilderness? He goes through some things. Did they expect to see the, the new spiritual guy, the fab that kind of just blew in? Did they expect to see this wise kind of guru in, in, in silk robes? Or did they expect to see a, a prophet, a messenger from God? Jesus says, look, he was more than a prophet. In fact, he was the only prophesied prophet. He was prophesied in the book of Malachi. We preached that several months ago, but it's one of the last verses, if not the last verse in Malachi, the last book of the New Testament. And what does it say? Malachi 4-5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay, That's the last thing God says for several hundred years. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet right before the awesome day of the Lord comes. So what's John thinking about? Awesome day of the Lord. Because I am the prophet. He tells these people who are listening to him, look, he's way more than you thought he is. Way more than you expected. He is the last man before the last man. He is the precursor, the preparer for the Messiah that's coming. John says he is, or Jesus says that John was the greatest guy ever born. The greatest guy ever born. He's pause for a second as you look at like circumstances of life that have gone different than you. The greatest guy, Jesus says, ever born dies in prison, beheaded. And then what happened to Jesus? The greatest, right? Died on a cross. When you expect your life to be different than a life like Jesus, you may be off on your expectations a little bit. But what he tells me, like he's more than a prophet, but even the least in the kingdom is greater than this guy. Which means that the guy who is bringing the kingdom, in other words, Jesus, is that much greater. The man who's coming to establish that kingdom, the man who's coming to rule that kingdom, Jesus, is that much greater. So, Jesus is talking about John, but guess who Matthew's talking about? Jesus. So as Jesus is asking the question, who did you expect to see in the wilderness? The question that actually Matthew's asking, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you really think Jesus is? What do you expect from Jesus? Who Jesus is, not who you think He is, will dictate what you can expect from Him. And when life fails to meet your expectations, which happens with all of us, whether it be some job that didn't work out the way you thought it would, some relationship where you're mistreated and you never saw it, some church that failed, whatever. When it fails, guess what? Our most natural response, like the default mode for our flesh, is not to believe that Jesus, you know what, He's, he's more loving and more controlling and, and more present in my disappointment than I ever thought. That's not natural to us. What's natural to us is to go, Who, what happened? Who's Jesus? What Are you doing anything? Does the Gospel even work? We naturally begin to believe Jesus is less. Less loving. Less in control. Less present. And I will continue to say, when, when your expectations of Jesus fall short, right? When He doesn't meet them, the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is, you have begun to believe Him to be less than He truly is. You've begun to base your expectations on some really unbiblical assumptions about Jesus rather than revelations from Him. You start to make Him less by actually making Him like yourself. He must act like me. He must think like me. He plans like me. He understands like I do. You've made Jesus less than who He is. In essence, 
bad expectations, wrong expectations, false expectations, whatever, come from believing in another Jesus. Did you know in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warns about another Jesus. He says very clearly in 11.4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You've started to believe in a different Jesus. You have started to create a Savior that's shaped by your experiences, shaped by your culture, shaped by your desires of what you expect Him to do or what you want. And when the real Jesus doesn't meet what you wanted and doesn't match culture, what happens? You throw Him out and you kind of create a new one. It's a really strange passage in verse 16, but he talks about the attitude of a generation. And he says, but what shall I compare this generation it's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates we played the flute for you and it didn't dance we sang a dirge and you did not mourn like we sang a song where you should dance and you wouldn't do what we want we played a funeral tune and and you didn't mourn like we wanted you to and he goes further and says for john came neither eating or drinking and they say well he's got a demon and then Jesus came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, right? They're never satisfied. John comes, doesn't do any of the, quote, bad things. They're like, oh, man, he's demon-possessed. Jesus comes, does all the bad things they think, and they're like, oh, he's demon-possessed. Like, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is that neither Jesus nor John met their expectations for how they believe God worked. For the Jews, John was way too religious, and Jesus wasn't religious enough. They couldn't handle John or Jesus because neither one fit how they believed God work. I mean, they believed a messenger would come, they believed that a Savior would follow him, but not in this form, not in this time, not in this way. Let's not forget the Pharisees knew the Scriptures. John knew the Scriptures. But here's what happened. And it happens to, dare I say, the best of us. The most faithful of us. Is that instead of the Scriptures challenging what your assumptions are, your assumptions begin to skew even how you understand Scripture. And how you read Scripture. See, my experience tells me this is how God works. My gut, you know what? I know the Bible said, but my gut tells me this is probably what God does and how He works. My culture tells me, well, things have changed. This is how God works. My cult pastor tells me this is how God works, right? Aren't we equally disappointed with Jesus when He doesn't work according to our expectations for the Christian life? We think to ourselves, well, I know how Jesus works or ought work in my life. I know that He's going to come through to me when I expect. And I know the way He's going to come through. And I know when He's going to come through. And I know Jesus, you know, He wants me to have prosperity, not poverty. 
And I know He wants me to have blessing, not suffering. If I'm suffering, something must be wrong. And I know, right, my, my Jesus wants me to have victory, not struggle. I know Paul prayed for a thorn to be removed, and yeah, but he didn't. No, Paul wasn't faithful enough. That's why the struggle didn't go away. Okay. That seems kind of odd because God told him, no, I'm going to let you struggle so you'll depend on me more. But Jesus, my, my Jesus, my Jesus wants me to have victory, not struggle. My Jesus wants me to have clarity, not confusion. I know how my Jesus works, and He is going to work this all out. I know the kind of life He wants me to have. He never gives me anything I can't handle. That's not biblical. But that's what we do. We create this idea of how Jesus works. And then when we read a Scripture that contradicts it, we think, oh, the Scripture must be wrong because this is what I feel. Isn't that our culture? What happens when your life doesn't work out the way you hope? When your job doesn't work out the way you hope? When your marriage doesn't work out the way you hope? When your finances don't work out the way you hope? When your health doesn't work out the way you hope? When Jesus falls short of our expectations, the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with our expectations. And John, or Jesus' answer to John tells us how to fix it. How it's changed. How it's transformed. And I want you to think for a second if you can. Put yourself in John's mind. This is a guy who knew who Jesus was. He grew up with him. He was so convinced that he was the king who came. So convinced that he was going to baptize with fire. So convinced he was going to take over. He baptized Jesus. Was there when he heard God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now he's in prison. For standing up for God's truth. For serving God faithfully. He's in prison. And he's been there for a year. And he sends a messenger because he hears Jesus spending time out in the hills healing a few people. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, I expected to be in prison for maybe a couple weeks. Well, let's get to it. Start taking over. And the response comes back to John. And Jesus doesn't say, I always like to think of what Jesus didn't say. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, John, you'll get out soon. Jesus doesn't say, this is just temporary. He doesn't even tell John it'll be okay. He basically tells a man, a faithful man, the greatest man, Jesus says, who was ever born of women. He tells this man who's in prison, things are working out as planned. Things are working out as planned. He later tells the people that the kingdom has suffered violence from the beginning. And he basically says, and more violence is coming. In fact, violence is how the kingdom will be established, and we know that was pointing to the cross. He tells the man, look, it's working out as planned. Things are going the way God has planned them. When you're in the midst of that 
time in your life where things are like crazy. This is not how things ought to be. I think some of us believe that if God would just come down and tell me like how this is all going to work out, we would like, oh, it would make us feel better. I don't know if it would. Seriously, cancer, Lord? Betrayal? Adultery? I mean, make the list. And God comes down and goes, working out his plan. You're right where I want you to be. Whoa! You can't be serious. This, this is not how I foresaw it. I foresaw a good marriage. I foresaw satisfaction in my job. I foresaw kids that obey. I foresaw everyone would love me. I foresaw people that would never let me down. Churches that would always be awesome. What is going on? He says, working out his plan. Would that bring you comfort? Or would that bring you to your face before the Lord? Because you don't know half of what he knows. A smidgen of what he knows. Like when you get to the point where you don't know what God is doing, like you just accept, okay God, I don't know what you're doing. Are you ready to trust that he does? Is it enough that Jesus knows? Is it enough that God knows? Can you sit in that? But I, I need to know. Like, God may let you down there. And I'm convinced that even if He did let you know, it wouldn't help. Imagine, though, the answer comes, right? Maybe John at that moment still thought, okay, well, I know it's working out as planned, but he means in a couple weeks I'm probably going to get out. Year later, keys opens up. This is it. Jesus took over. Yes, walks out and he's beheaded. Put that picture up, that, that sermon picture. It's the beheading of John. I've sat wondering what John thought as he was being brought to the executor. If at that point he was still disappointed, or if you could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Did he still believe? I mean, how many disappointments does it take to drive someone to another Jesus? I think a better question might be, how many disappointments in the wrong Jesus does it take you to trust the real one? Even if you don't see, even if you don't understand, even if you don't know, even if you find yourself being led to your death, will you trust? Will you trust? Wrong expectations come from a lot of places, but right expectations come from one place. Right revelation. Right revelation. Jesus answers very specifically to John, telling his disciples, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Go tell John what I'm teaching and go tell John what I'm doing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Isn't it interesting that he puts the dead being raised and preaching of the good news to the poor on the same level. 
Jesus actually is quoting several verses from the book of Isaiah describing what the signs would be for the coming messianic age. In other words, he's telling John the kingdom would come. He tells John or steers John back to the Word. Back to Scripture. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of unmixed expectations, he says, look at the Word. And in order for us to avoid the disappointment of unmet expectations, we must devote ourselves to biblical revelation. We must devote ourselves to this. Because when you don't, you allow past experience, you allow present circumstances, you allow fleshly desires to determine who God is and what He does. And this is to guard you from that. Because this is an authority over your experience. This is an authority over your emotion. This is an authority over your intellect. We must spend our time here in order to be transformed. What God is doing, expectations for what He's doing in the present, and what He intends to do in the future, must be shaped by the Word of Christ and the work of Christ. Romans 12 says it this way, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is the will of God? What is good? What is acceptable? And what is perfect? And you may find if you will spend time listening to the Lord that your expectations for life are not good are not perfect, are not aligned with what God says reality is. The Bible gives us a picture of a Savior more glorious than we could possibly comprehend. We don't like that in our flesh. We want a God we control. We want a God that we can like shape and will do what we want. And Jesus says, that's not me. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is God's full and final self-revelation. Jesus is God. Fully God. Don't allow your bad past experiences or your bad present circumstances make Jesus less than He is. The cross reveals this. And this should shake you a bit. The cross of Jesus Christ. His death in our place for our sins. You know what that reveals? That God does His best work through betrayal, through rejection, through persecution, through broken people, through impossible odds, through bad situations. The cross shows us that God honestly has no intention of meeting our expectations. In fact, He is ready and willing to disappoint in order to accomplish in us something far more glorious. Far more beautiful than we could ever predict, than we could ever expect. Not less, more. The cross gives us a picture of a God and a Savior that is impossible to comprehend. Expectations blown, right? Didn't see Holy Creator of all things coming down and dying for His creation. Never could have predicted that. Unexpected, and yet amazing. So rather than building our lives on false assumptions of what we think or hope God is like, we've got to go, hey it rhymes, with what we know. 
But a lot of us don't know it, because guess what? This is collecting dust on your shelf, and the only time you ever see the Bible read is when it's up on the screen on Sunday morning. And you wonder, why am I so disappointed with life? Because you're not listening to what God said life is like. You're not finding strength in the fact that He gives a life deeply to get you through the chaos of this broken life. We know that just because circumstances are bad does not mean that we are not exactly where God wants us to be. Just because circumstances are bad doesn't mean that we are not where God wants us to be. It is not a sign of His absence. It is a sign of His presence. This is what Scripture reveals about Jesus. That He is always more, not less, than we could imagine. In your situation, I'm pleading with you to believe and you don't have to just take it for my word. Take it for the word of Jesus. And if you open it up and read, you will see that Jesus is more loving than you think. He is more willing. He is more powerful. He is more wise. He is more forgiving. He is more in control. He is more satisfying than you will ever expect. So if we learn nothing, we see that A, Jesus is not going to meet your expectations, and that's a good thing because His expectations are way greater. And when your experience contradicts what you expected, you need to question your expectations, not Jesus. And it's okay to have doubts. That's normal. But the problem is resolved through looking to Revelation. I'll close with a passage out of Ephesians chapter 3. One of my favorite passages. Know this, that our inability, our inability to fully understand Jesus and His ways. When you spend time with the revelation of God governing you, you will see that your inability to fully understand Jesus and His ways doesn't lead you to doubt. It actually leads you to worship. It actually leads you to let go. Let go of control. Let go of assuming that you think rightly, that you expect rightly, that Jesus is somehow meeting, or not meeting, I should say, your expectations. It should lead us to worship. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Let me read it again. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we expect. You expect too less. You're making Jesus less. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I pray that as your experience in life 
comes to slam against your expectations, you will not be led to doubt Jesus, but you'll be led to worship Him, led to trust Him, led to get close to Him so that He can show you what to truly expect. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You recognizing that we are foolish. We think we are wise and we are not. We think we are strong and we are not. We think we know how everything should work out and we don't. Lord, we confess, I confess, that how I believe things should play out in my life may actually be 100% wrong. I confess, Lord, that when I'm disappointed, when you don't do what I think you should do, I question. I doubt. I pray, Lord, that You will change something in all of us. That You'll change something in me that when experience contradicts what I expect, Lord, I will worship. I will trust. I will look at the cross. I will see that the most horrible thing, most unexpected thing, Father, was exactly as You planned and it was glorious. That I will look past the crucifixion to the joy set before Him. And I will believe. Increase our belief in You and in Your revelation and decrease our belief in our man-centered expectations. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as uh, we've been learning today through this, uh, through this message about John the Baptist and about how he experienced doubt himself while he sat in prison, we know that the disciples...